Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. I'm recording on Friday night this time. For some reason, I'm really tired, so I made me some coffee at night. Nighttime. The sun is down. I made coffee. I haven't done this since I used to smoke pot. Relax. I'm Canadian. It's legal now. Calm down. Nobody cares anymore. A couple weeks ago, I covered a murder that revolved around Tinder, but long before Tinder was a social media platform called MySpace. And this is the MySpace case. In 2009, MySpace was a booming scene for the horrorcore music genre. I remember a lot of my friends had MySpace, but I never jumped on that platform. But what I do remember is you would have a profile of yourself with pictures, kind of like Facebook. This was before Facebook, though. It listed all of your interests and your you could you know, cue your favorite song to play when you logged onto your profile and when you went and looked at other people's profile, their favorite song would play. It was a very music-based platform for all types of of genre of music. But today's case focuses around um, the specific genre of horror core. September 17th, 2009, Farmvale, Virginia, USA. The bodies of four people were found in a family home so brutally bludgeoned the police had to use dental records to confirm their identities. The home was that of 53-year-old Deborah Kelly, an associate professor of sociology and criminal justice studies at Longwood University. Deborah and 50-year-old Mark Niederbrock, a pastor at a Presbyterian church, had recently divorced and Mark had moved out, leaving Deborah and their 16-year-old daughter, Emma Niederbrock, to live in the family home. It seems like this was an amicable divorce and Mark kept in touch and was on good terms with his ex-wife and his daughter. After Emma's parents divorced, she seemed to become less happy. When her mother saw her smiling more and more, she could have probably guessed a boy had something to do with it. If she did guess that, then she was right. About one year before the brutal bludgeons happened, Emma met a guy on MySpace, 20-year-old Richard McCrowski. His screen name, or like his MySpace name, I guess, would have was Psycho Sam. And that was his also his horrorcore name in which he released uh, songs under. And um, he named himself after the serial killer, Son of Sam. He seemed to really like that serial killer, which is a pretty mainstream choice if you ask me, but you know, nobody did. So he went by Psycho Sam. Emma, her horrorcore name or her MySpace name was Ragdoll. So both Emma and Richard were very into the horrorcore scene and music, which is how they started talking to begin with. Richard was from California where he lived with his parents and sister. Uh, Richard was bullied as a child in school for being overweight and having red hair, but in spite of being bullied, he never showed any signs of violence and he never fought back. It seems like he was very passive in the bullying situation. He would just kind of take it and move on. 
Uh, Richard was inspired by such bands as Insane Clown Posse and Korn and started making and recording his own music at 17. He made an album titled My Dark Side under his name Psycho Sam. The song titles um, were those such as Burning Churches, Murderous Rage, Hot Sex, and I Hate This World. His music seemed to be a way to perhaps process and release his anger. After years of feeling like an outcast, it seemed he found an outlet, which can be a healthy thing. He had finally found solace um, in the horrorcore music scene and even made friends he would meet up with and go to shows with. After such a traumatic time in school where he had no friends, this would have felt so good to finally be accepted and fit in. Horrorcore music is designed to, if you haven't heard it before, I didn't really know anything about, actually I never even had heard of this genre of music. So horrorcore music is designed to shock the listener by singing about topics that are highly taboo. Um, you know and and even glorifying murder and rape it's it's got a shock factor to it it's perfect rebellion music to get a rise out of your parents type of stuff Richard would publish his music on his MySpace account. I was able to see some lyrics from the song titled My Dark Side, and I think it's a look into how he felt about all the people that bullied him as a child in school and maybe some, you know, fantasizing of what he would, you know, like to do to them or how he would like to see them. And I'll read you the lyrics now. I'll just read you a piece of a song. Quote, If you see me roaming the streets, you better fucking run. You're gonna be dead meat, laying on the ground, no help found, unquote. Then it goes in to describe a person laying on the ground, dying and bleeding. As well as Richard's MySpace account, which may or may not still exist, um, I'm not sure, he has a YouTube channel under the name Little Demon Dog little lil little demon dog and you can go look it up the channel is still there it's it's still visible and there he has like 26 videos i think on it and the videos on it are stuff like him going to a cemetery and flipping over crosses on a marine's grave going into an abandoned house and brackets i wrote here during the day because i mean it's not scary when you go in the daytime. So I don't know why he was going in the daytime. But the one of the video is him in an abandoned house in the daytime. And then he's got another video of him just in his bedroom showing, you know, posters on his wall of his favorite bands, stuff like that. Richard eventually teamed up with two other horrorcore artists named Razakal and Sick Tanic, who had their own label under Serial Killer Records, which they produced music under that label, and I believe they had started that themselves. So Richard, Razakal, Sick Tanic, they would all hang out, smoke some weed, make some music, relate to one another, you know, just... And, and some other people too from the horror course scene, not just three of them, but like a lot of them would hang out. They would have meetups. They would go to concerts together. And um, you can see them on Richard's YouTube channel on that little demon dog um, channel. You can go and watch some videos of them all hanging out. It was at this stage that Richard started talking to Emma Niederbrock on MySpace. As Emma was a huge horrorcore fan as well, as we had already previously um, talked about Emma's parents had just split up a year earlier and she was being homeschooled which I'm sure was very hard for her as she wouldn't have had that escape 
that going to school and talking to friends would have provided. So she, like Richard, um, she had turned to the internet and found her place in the horrorcore scene on MySpace. In 2007, uh, Emma became a fan of a popular horrorcore woman in the scene who we just talked about Razakal and they started talking on MySpace and they had a lot in common. Razakal was living in California but Emma was living in Virginia so they couldn't exactly meet up and I think Emma had confided in Razakal that she was feeling lonely. Um, so what Razakal did was she put her in touch with at that time 17 year old Melanie Wells who happened to live in West Virginia. So not far from Virginia. I think she lived two or two hours, I think, from where Emma lived. And Melanie was also a huge horrorcore fan. Emma and Mel became close friends because they had so much in common. Uh, Razakel and the two girls met up for the first time in person in 2008 at a horrorcore concert. Emma, now 16 years old, and Richard, now 20, were in somewhat of an online relationship. I say somewhat because it depends who you ask. If you ask Richard, he would have said yes for sure they're in an online relationship. If you were to ask Emma, she may have not given you a direct answer. So just shortly after this, uh, Richard's parents um, got a divorce. Um, And that was probably quite hard as well. So now, you know, he's watching his parents be divorced, but he's got a light at the end of the tunnel. He is in love with Emma. So he and Emma make a plan. Richard decides he would fly to Virginia in September to meet Emma and attend a horrorcore concert in Detroit called Strictly for the Wicked with her and Mel. So Emma and Mel were planning on going and Richard was like, cool, I'll fly to Virginia and then we can all go together. And they were like, yes, we love this idea. That's amazing. Emma's mother, although not on board with the scene, was fully supportive of her daughter and her choices. So instead of pushing her away, she kept her close by not judging or banning her from such events. As of right now, this seems like a smart move by Emma's mother, Deborah, because she is still in a position to oversee and manage what's happening um, by not having Emma feel she needs to hide things from her. So she's keeping a very open line of communication with her daughter, which is smart. In April, Richard purchases his ticket to Virginia, and he's very excited. Deborah and Mark's divorce was hard on Emma, and they could see she was happy for the first time in a long time, and perhaps maybe overcompensating because they felt guilty, or, you know, maybe they're just trying to keep that open line of communication and, you know, keep everything open and honest. They said they would pick Richard up from the airport, allow him to stay in their home for a week with Deborah and Emma as Mark had moved out after the divorce, so it was just them, and drive them to the concert 10 hours away in Detroit where they would get hotel rooms and then drive them back the next day. These parents were going above and beyond. So September 7th, Emma writes on Richard's MySpace. Next time you check your MySpace, you'll be at my house, exclamation mark. I love you so, so much, baby, forever and for always. So Emma wrote that to Richard. So it does kind of seem like they did have an online relationship happening. 
The time to pick Richard up at the airport had come and Emma was so excited to finally meet her online love after many months of talking. So they're at the airport to pick up Richard. She sees him from across the airport, probably down one of those long hallways they have in the airports. And she was excited. She's like, there he is. Cool. We're going to meet like amazing. As he gets closer, she realizes that his online persona doesn't match his real life one. She didn't think his pictures on MySpace represented what he actually looked like, and his attitude was more shy and immature than outgoing hardcore horrorcore rapper or Psycho Sam she thought he was. Emma even texted Razakal that she felt uncomfortable regarding Richard's company in person. So I could imagine this made for a wonderfully uncomfortable 10-hour drive to Michigan for the concert. Emma's parents in, were in the front seat driving. Emma, Mel, and Richard in the back seat, probably knees touching, breathing on each other. Oh man, they should really write a horrorcore song about that because that is some real cringe, terrifying stuff. They arrive in Detroit. Emma, Mel, and Deborah stay in one room. Mark stays in another room, and Richard stays in his own room. This probably made Richard feel isolated possibly maybe even more so isolated because I'm not sure but he was probably getting the vibe that maybe Emma wasn't into him once meeting him which is not an easy pill to swallow the next day Deborah drops the girls and Richard off at the show and it was noted by people at the show that Emma wasn't seen hanging out or even near Richard. Richard thought he was going to meet his loving girlfriend and instead comes to a realization she wants nothing to do with him. The show ended around 11 p.m. and after the show, it was time to drive back the 10 hours to Virginia. The car ride would have been even worse than on the way there as the rejection was probably really setting in at this stage for Richard. Mark drops off Emma, Mel, Richard, and Deborah at Deborah's house and returns to his own house. Mel posts on her MySpace that she had an amazing time, she misses everyone, and that she would be back in West Virginia Wednesday. Mel then fell asleep on the couch. Emma fell asleep in her bed, and Deborah was also asleep in her bed upstairs. So Emma's bedroom was downstairs, Deborah's bedroom was upstairs, and the living room where Mel was sleeping was also downstairs. In the early morning of September 14th, around 3 a.m., Richard drank, smoked some weed, and took some painkillers, went outside where he found a splitting mall, which is a axe, I guess. I had to look it up. Also known by the names of sledge axe or block splitter. It's a long-handled axe. One side is blunt like a sledgehammer. The other is sharp to split wood. A weapon that can inflict a lot of damage. Armed with his axe, the once meek Richard was now driven by rejection and hate. He finds Mal sleeping on the couch and attacks her with the axe, delivering multiple blows to her head. He then goes upstairs to where Deborah was sleeping and carries out the same technique. Then, as if saving Emma for last, he goes into her room and also attacked her head with 
the axe. All three women were sleeping when the attacks occurred and the autopsy shows they never woke up during the attack as they had no defensive wounds. So he just carried out a spree killing on three defenseless women who weren't even conscious enough to fight back as if he was worried they would overpower him or I'm not sure why he did it in their sleep. Maybe it made it easier for him to mentally carry out the attacks because he didn't have to look them in the eye or hear them scream for help. It's either way, it's cowardly and disgusting. I don't even have words for this. He then drags Melanie's body into Emma's room. That morning, Mel's mother, Kathleen Wells, and Mel's brother, Alex Wells, are trying to get a hold of Mel. Um, They call her on her cell phone. They don't get any answers. They begin to worry as she always takes their calls. Kathleen then calls Razakal, but Razakal had no idea what was going on. So when she tries to call Mel and then of course gets no answer, she noticed she's starting to think something's up as well. After a while, uh, Mel's father was like, what the hell is going on? And he actually got in his car and drove the couple of hours to get to Emma's house where Mel was. He called, no answer. He waited outside. Um, He saw nothing. He was, you know, going around the house looking through windows. He couldn't see anything. When he is approached by a man who tells them that he's a neighbor and he saw the girls go out. But what he didn't know was this man was Richard. Richard must have came out the back door, pretended to be a neighbor, started talking to Melanie's father saying, oh, I'm the neighbor or they've gone out. Um, And Mel's father was like, okay, and then eventually leaves. The next day, Kathleen calls the home phone uh, at Emma's and Richard answers. So Mel's mother is like, what the hell's going on? I'm going to try to call her friend's house where she's supposed to be at once more. So she calls, Richard answers, and he tells her the girls were out. She calls back the next day, or maybe a couple hours. Um, I saw a few different things. She keeps calling and calling and calling, and at one point, Richard answers and says, oh, the girls went to Emma's father's house. So Kathleen calls Mark, and Mark was like, nope, they're not here. He was now worried, and he decided to go over to the house to see what was going on. He gets to the home around 5 p.m. And since he used to live there and it's his daughter and ex-wife's house, he just lets himself in. So he enters the house and he's met with a quite a weird, terrible, foul smell. And as he's scanning the room looking for his family or anybody there, Richard attacks Mark from behind with the same axe he had carried out the previous murders with. Richard, for some reason, I can't understand why, then calls Kathleen, Mel's mom, back and tells her that there are noises coming from the basement. And when she asked where Mark was, he said he hadn't seen him. Okay, this is a wild situation. So there must have been a thousand red flags signaling and waving in the the wind to Kathleen now because Richard called Mel's mother back to say, what he hadn't seen Mark and that there's now noises coming from the basement like what game is he playing here was he trying to lure Kathleen over to the house maybe Kathleen tells him to call the police and he actually did so now he's calling police he actually called the police the police came and he let them into the home where the four dead bodies lay in the scene of his massacre 
He told police there was noises in the basement. The police enter the home and notice Richard is dirty and stinks. They check the house, obviously not very good as they left thinking everything was fine. But the officer missed four brutally murdered bodies, three downstairs, one upstairs. There would have been blood spatter, would have been messy. And as we hear more later, Richard never showered or changed his clothes after the murder and was still wearing those clothes for days and days. How did the police miss all this? Also, the police just assumed he lived there and they never questioned who he was and why he was in that home. It was said that after police left, this is when Richard made a home video stating he was going to kill himself and he hates living in this world and fuck everyone. He keeps talking about paying his consequences. He he never went through with it and instead he stole money from Mark, Emma's now dead father, and he also stole Mark's car. Well, on his, he was on his way to the airport and on his way there with the stolen money and the stolen car, he crashes it in a ditch at the end of somebody's driveway. So this person now calls the police and guess what? The police show up. The police were called and arrived with a tow truck. Remember, he is still covered in blood and gore and stinks. The police officer just finds him for um, driving with no license. Richard manages to get a ride with the tow truck driver who remembers the smell was so terrible and compares it to smelling like the devil. And I think, don't like quote me on this quote, but I think he said he stunk like the devil. I think that's his exact words. During the uh, drive, the tow truck driver had to roll his window down and hang his head out of it to breathe because he would have gagged from the smell. Like he was like, okay, yep. And then like rolled that window down. Fresh air. Mm -hmm. It was bad. So eventually Richard sees a gas station and he tells the tow truck driver, hey, like I'm going to jump out here. All good. Um, You know, thanks for the ride. And I'm sure the tow truck driver was like, get the fuck out of here you stink okay bye bye um so he he then calls a cab so now he's in a cab with somebody and he stinks so the cab driver was now experienced the odor of which emanated off Richard during this ride Richard confides in the driver that he and his girlfriend had a fight about him finding text messages from another guy on her phone telling her that he loved her he said he then waited for them all to fall asleep because um him and his girlfriend got in a fight about this because she was mad about him betraying her privacy and going through her phone which amen sister you should be and instead of keep fighting you know he didn't want that he waited for her to fall asleep and then left but he told the cab driver that he is sure they will work everything out and they will get back together and you know they love each other so much and the cab driver's like okay stinky um I'm not sure what he said but it would have the smell would have been so bad I just can't get over it being trapped in a car with that guy would have been terrible so eventually they get to the airport Richard jumps out he tries to buy a ticket back to California that night but he couldn't afford one you know ASAP so he had to wait until the next day so his flight wasn't until the next day so he went to the baggage area and was sleeping in a chair covered in gore and blood and stink could you imagine if this is who the 
you were going to be sitting beside on a flight, trapped on an airplane with circulating air, with the literal smell of death and decay on this guy. By this point, it had been 48 hours since the murders. 48 hours of human remains on his clothes and body. 48 hours being in a home with the remains of decaying bodies. Richard called his friend for some reason, a friend in, in the horrorcore scene, and he told them, him everything he was like I murdered them I murdered them all I'm a murderer murder 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 and that he had done it he full-on confessed everything that friend then called Razakal and Sictanic Sictanic then calls Kathleen because remember Mel's mother Kathleen called um, Razakal and was like I'm worried about my daughter I can't get a hold of her well Sictanic is Razakal's boyfriend so Sictanic now calls Kathleen and tells her what they were just told and screams poured out of the phone in the moment that Kathleen was told her worst nightmare had been confirmed it was Sictanic who then calls police police go back to the home and search it this time the police find four dead bodies 16 year old Emma Niederbrock 18-year-old Melanie Wells, 53-year-old Deborah Kelly, and 50-year-old Mark Niederbrock. Three in the downstairs bedroom, one in the upstairs bedroom. Neighbors had been noticing a foul smell while walking past the home and thought there was a dead animal around. That's how intense the smell was. And also, that's how the police could get into the house without anybody letting them in or without having a warrant. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think they had a warrant. But when they got to the door, they could smell death coming through the door, which then allows them to enter the property. So now police are looking for Richard, a guy they had been face to face with twice, covered in gore and blood since the killings. At the same time, a security guard at the airport sees the lookout for this guy report and he notices a guy who looks like the suspect sleeping in the baggage claim area and snaps a photo of him. I will post that photo on my Insta and Facebook. The security guard watched Richard until police arrived and arrested him. And you can also look online and find the footage of, of the arrest as well. While being brought into custody, a reporter asked him why he did it. And he said, quote, Jesus told me to do it. Ha ha. Unquote. Like actually laughed. He said, Jesus told me to do it. Ha <laughs> ha. He was charged with first degree murder, robbery, and grand larceny and charged with six counts of capital murder. But then they cleared him on, on two. It was two separate murders that they tacked on to the other four. They thought he had something to do with two other murders in the area, but that was disproven. So then it went down to um, four counts of capital murder. And instead of going to trial, he took a plea deal and he pleaded guilty. The media jumped on the genre of music, blaming it for Richard murdering the four innocent people, which we have seen happen many times, not just with music, but video games, movies, etc., etc. The horrorcore scene did not support the actions of Richard at all, and pretty much everyone involved in the scene hated him for doing what he did. Although one rapper in the genre did release a song one month after the murders, where in the music video he shows pictures of Emma and Mel 
saying, dead chicks, who cares? LOL. He called the song, I'm going Sam on it, as the horrorcore scene knew Richard as Sam. The rapper also sings about Sictanic being a snitch and calls Emma and Mel derogatory names. The rapper claims this song was a joke. A joke. I guess this music scene is all about getting a rise out of people and shocking people, and this song would have done just that. The rapper ended up dying in 2013, so... As I was saying before, instead of going to trial, uh, Richard took a plea deal to avoid the death penalty. September 20th, 2010, he pleaded guilty to the murder of Emma, Mel, Mark, and Deborah, and was given four life sentences plus 622 years in prison. He looked really happy leaving the courtroom that day, and I'm not being sarcastic. You can look up these pictures, and he is smiling ear to ear. He looks happy. Richard claims he was a ticking time bomb, and that's why he murdered them. He also claims that no one will ever know the real reasons of why he did it, and he will take that to the grave. He also seemed like he liked seeing himself all over the news. According to one of his cellmates, Richard admitted to everything, and the cellmate wasn't comfortable sleeping around this guy. I mean, could you imagine? He literally had murdered people in their sleep. Now somebody has to sleep around him. He said the other prisoners had no respect for Richard because he had killed the three women in their sleep. Once again, Richard is unpopular amongst his peers. You know, you would have never seen it coming from this kid. He was quiet and shy. And during an interview, Razakal even says like that this would make more sense if you were to tell me that somebody broke into the house and murdered them more so than you telling me that Psycho Sam did it, aka Richard, because this guy was a pushover. You could push him over and walk all over him like he wasn't aggressive. He wasn't violent. He was quite shy. His music seemed to be his outlet for his rage. Um, His songs are, you know, pretty horrorcore, we'll say. And it's just shocking. I guess you never really know what somebody is capable of doing. You could know the sweetest person and they could murder you in your sleep. So be careful. So to Richard McCrowski, I say, hell no. That concludes this week's episode of the My Space Case. And thanks for listening. See you next week.